Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Wonderful. Well, we're continuing our uh, more than this series and I want to uh, start with uh, a scripture in John chapter um, chapter 2 and verse 6. It's the story of Jesus turning water into wine. It's a message that I have spoken on, a script, chapter I've spoken on many times before. Um, but if you're not familiar with this story, um, this is a story of Jesus and how Jesus really starts his ministry. Jesus hasn't... Um, performed any miracles to this point. He had been gathering some disciples around him uh, and he and his disciples uh, had gone to a wedding. It was a two-day walk to the wedding. Uh, In those days, weddings were quite an epic um, sort of several days of feasting. Um, Actually, I've discovered that as I've traveled Europe, I've been in weddings in in many countries and I've discovered that we do we do the the least significant weddings <laughs> we you know we, we have we really do we do and and uh, in fact when when Cheryl and I got married um an age ago we got married and we we got married at 12 o'clock at four o'clock we were in the car off on our honeymoon yeah <laughs> We, we were out of there. There was like, we, we got married, we had a meal, we were gone. And, uh, and, and then we discovered, and then after that, people started having things such as radical things called an after party. And, and, and for guests who couldn't, who couldn't come to the, the main meal, they would have a party afterwards. And started, some of our friends had one of those, it was very radical. And, and, uh, and then we sort of, and it would go on till midnight. How outrageous. And, uh, but then we were, I was a wedding in Denmark, in France, the wedding, sometimes they lay on breakfast for the wedding in France because they just go for so long. It's like, and uh, so um, we were in a wedding in France for Eda's wedding and uh, we left, I don't know, it was about three in the morning or something. You've got to do church and uh, on the Sunday morning, it's like three o'clock and you're getting out going, oh my word. And, uh, but Jesus has gone to a wedding. And it's one of those weddings. I mean, it's not just a three in the morning. It's an all day and it's an all night and it's the next day too. And it's an epic wedding celebration. And Jesus has been asked to go along. And um, what has happened is that um, they run out of wine. Um, and uh, it's, it's an embarrassing moment. And, and Mary, Jesus' mother, um, has been talking to the, mother in, uh, the, the, the mother-in-law who's furious with her husband for being such a tight flint for not buying enough. And, and so she's spoken to, uh, to, to Mary and just had a moan and Mary gets a flash of inspiration. Hang on a sec. My son is the son of God. Surely we can fix up some wine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he made the heavens and the earth. What, what about a bit of Cabernet Sauvignon? Surely we can do, we can do some wine. And so he goes and ha- she goes and have a word with, with Jesus. Jesus is like, oh, look, you know, I, I haven't done any miracles yet. You want me to do 
Wine is the first miracle? You know, sure, I was thinking of raising the dead or something. But here we go. Let's produce some wine. And so it says in John chapter 2, verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out. Take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. Now, it goes on to say that the wine was the best wine that they ever tasted, uh, and it was an extraordinary party that followed. Now, Jesus here has been asked, He's been tasked with repairing a a busted wedding ceremony. And to do so, he needs empty vessels. And this morning, I want to speak this morning, for more, we have to have less. Less is is always more. And, and, you know, when when you want more, you've got to do less, haven't you? It's like um, decorating a house. If you want to decorate a house, the first thing you've got to do is just get rid of the junk. And in fact... Um, this, uh, this last week on, on Monday, um, we, we got up and uh, Joe said to Baez, uh, looking across at the, at the television, and I can't remember whether it was the TV you wanted to fix or the, or the DVDs. Uh, I think it was the TV, wasn't it? Oh, it was the DVDs. He looked across at the DVDs. We got like a DVD collection. And, and to be honest with you, we don't really buy DVDs anymore. Did anyone buy DVDs anymore? We used to buy DVDs. We've got a big pile of them. Uh, but these days we just stream them and uh, stream movies. But we've got a pile of DVDs that we're rather proud of. We like our DVDs. We don't watch them, but Monday, one day we're, we've still got VHS. <laughs> we don't even have a VHS player, but we're hanging on to them. I paid for them. They're mine. <laughs> And so we've got these, um, Joe looked at the DVDs and they're, they're falling over this way. They're all out of sync. I'd put them in alphabetical order about 50 years ago and, uh, and no longer in order. There's cases but no DVD and there's DVDs and no case. And, and it was just all over the place. And then we've got CDs. We don't even play CDs. We've got stacks of CDs all just lined up with the DVDs and they're just there. We don't even know why they're there. And so he looked across and he goes, Sits to Boaz, we're going to tidy that up. <laughs> well, you know what? To make it better, you've got to clear out the junk. And so they start pulling it out. They have to do it. They have to move the TV to move the TV. You've got to realize that the, the, what the TV is sitting on is, is not appropriate for to having it neat and tidy. And so the wires, we've got wires everywhere. We've got wire, HDMI lead for the, for the BT box, HDMI lead for the DVD player we don't use, HDMI lead for the wretched Xbox. And... <laughs> Uh, HDMI and a TV that only has one HDMI plug. <laughs> so every time you want to watch a program, you want to. <laughs> I go to I go to watch a movie. I can't watch a movie. The HDMI plug has been used on the Xbox, and it's like, oh my goodness! And so there's this chaos. And so here they go. And not only do they start, end up, they rip out all the DVDs. They get them in alphabetical order. That leaves me the responsibility of redoing the shelving so that we can fit them back properly. And so because of the shelving was falling down. And so we sort out the shelving. We sort out the wires. We sort out that. I find that actually I own, I'd forgotten about, I own a TV cabinet that we weren't using. It was sitting up in the guest room 
a TV cabinet that had been made in my workshop, so I brought it with me <laughs> when we moved up to Scotland. And this beautiful, and so we sat the TV on that and go, look, it holds the TV. Why did we never think of this before? And so it holds the TV, it holds the Xbox, it holds the TV player. We tucked all the wires away. We can plug, watch anything, and everything is connected together. We've got a, a splitter, which we owned. We had a splitter for the edge. <laughs> HDMI lead the splitter the splitter works I don't even know how that worked and what we ended up with with a bag of junk about like this of DVD cases with no DVD CD cases and broken CDs scratch CDs CDs that we would never listen to again even if we were paid to and (laughs) you've all got those in your house haven't you you look at them and you go oh And all the pirate CDs that were given to us. You've all got those too, haven't you? And you've got hundreds of those pirate handwritten. And, and so you've got all of these and we pile them in and suddenly our house becomes new. That corner, in fact, so new. Chaz came round uh, last night. He came in and he goes, whoa. He sees the corner of the house that was once chaos and is now beautiful because we cleared it out and we emptied it. And you know what? When God's got to do something in your life, you've got to understand he needs an empty vessel, not a full one. He needs a vessel he can work with. You know what? It doesn't matter how clever your vessel is. It doesn't matter how beautiful it is. It doesn't matter how ornate it is. And it doesn't matter what it was made for. It matters that it's empty. Jesus is asked for wine and he is looking for empty vessels. He's looking for something that has been emptied. The problem we have in our life is that our lives are so full, our vessels are so full and our lives are employed in other people's business and God can't do anything with your life if your life is employed in somebody else's business. And what I mean by that is not the work that you'll go to on a Monday. is what is filled in your head. is what is filled in your opinions and filled with your attitudes and filled with your thoughts. The thing that God can't do anything with your life if you have an opinion of everything about life. If you have an opinion about life. I believe this. I believe that. I believe I, your life isn't working, but you've got an opinion on it. If your life isn't working and you've got an opinion on it, I suggest you ditch the opinion and become an empty vessel. Let God fill your life. You know, there are many moments in our lives when we think that we've got it filled. Peter was a man who thought he got it filled. He gets to a point in his ministry and Jesus says to them, says to Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter gets this great revelation. You are the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus says to Peter, no one's revealed this to you before, but it it came from my father in heaven. And I give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven upon this rock, upon this revelation that you will unlock the keys of the kingdom. This is what it will be established on. Peter's heart swells with pride. He's so excited. Oh, we've made it. We've got to the point where I've been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that boys clang-a-lang-a-lang? We are going to do great things for God. And then 
as days go on, so they start going through. And Peter is just so full of excitement. We're going to do amazing things. And Jesus is, starts talking about his crucifixion. He starts talking about the, 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 uh, the coming days and how he's going to die. And the boys don't like it. And Peter, Peter's thinking to himself, he takes, he, Peter's just so, he thinks, oh, listen, I'm going to have to take the king of kings aside here. And, uh, and have a word with him about his PR. And, uh, and Peter is now on a PR drive. He says, listen, Jesus, we kind of have all this, this death talk. It's not good for the image. Um, we need to up the positivity. It's, all, it's putting everyone feeling down and, and they don't get it. And, and, and Jesus, if you, if you leave all the PR to me, I'm the man. I, I can handle all the marketing. I can get the crowds. We, we can do this. And, 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 P, and Peter goes from this moment of just like just full of excitement. He's just full. And suddenly he gets a slap down. Suddenly Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> You'd imagine that one. Peter, you're the man. You're going to bring in the kingdom of heaven. Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Woof! Peter is like... <laughs> Suddenly, he's... Run. And then, it only gets... There, it gets worse. Peter, Peter gets... He, he, there's no, he doesn't say anything more about it. In fact, he, Jesus turns to the disciples and he speaks to Peter. He, he brings... Peter had taken him aside, but Jesus takes him back um, to the disciples and puts him down. In front of the disciples. Peter had taken him in, in away and privately, but Jesus took what was taken in private and he takes it into the public and says, This is not the way. And he puts him down. And Peter is suddenly being emptied. From there, he comes to a place where he, the, the whole um, story of Jesus being. Um, betrayed and people leaving him and Jesus and Peter's like I would never do it and Peter sorted his heart out he's realized that Jesus is the king you can't take the king aside and, and tell him what he should do he's the boss and so but but Peter is the man and because Peter is the man he's going to be with with Jesus whatever happens and Jesus says you will deny me I will never deny you, you will deny me and sure enough Peter discovers what's really in his heart and he denies him and suddenly Peter is broken. And then Jesus dies. He's on the cross. And then he's put in the grave. The grave is emptied. And then Jesus appears, but he's not like he was. And it's suddenly all changed. And it's all reversed. And, and everything's changed. And, and Peter doesn't know what he's going to do and how it's going to work out. And Peter is emptied. And then he goes fishing. And it says in John 21... In verse 3, it says, Peter said, I'm going fishing. And they all said, well, come too. And they all, so they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. In verse 4, it says, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. They were empty. And Jesus was about to equip them and to fill them to do a magnificent work of setting the world free with the truth of his love. You see, Jesus needed 
empty vessels. That's all he needed. You know, we so often are looking around in our life to do something for God. But Jesus just needs empty and available vessels. That's all he is looking for. Someone who is empty and someone who is available. The problem with being empty is it's never good. You can never look at a moment in your life when you feel empty and go, that was a great moment. (laughs) Even when God's involved, it's never a good moment. When you're empty, you feel lost, you feel lonely, you feel confused, you feel broken, you feel hurt, you feel disappointed, you feel something that isn't working because we were designed to be filled and to do something significant and something great. Yesterday, I had the pleasure of working with my neighbor and we went down and we cut down another neighbor's tree. Um, it, was a, it was a marvelously manly thing to do. And, and my neighbor and I have no experience in chainsaws, no experience in any kind of gardening, of any kind of work whatsoever. We are duly unqualified for the task. But there, our neighbor on the other side of us, their tree had blown down and we were the men and we were going to be manly. It was a marvelous day. We spent the day, we were chainsawing, we were hacking. One of us would be chainsawing, the other one would be going, Ooh. and then we would swap, and I would chainsaw, and he would go, Whoa. and we were, Whoa. I'm not sure I'm supposed to be doing it that way. But nevertheless, that's where the tree is, and that's where my head is, we shall chop. And... Uh, and so we're chopping away and we're, cho- and we're dragging it out and we're, we're collecting all these logs and we're dragging a, and we're building up a huge amount of, of, of waste for the bonfire on bonfire's night. And we're just having an amazing time. And then as we're clearing up and we're, our neighbor, she was just so excited and so pleased and saying, oh, you've saved me so much money. And, and we're just... Uh, and, and uh, I turned to I turned to my neighbor and I said I said to him, you know what? That's what men are there to do, isn't it? <laughs> to feel like we've succeeded. He's, and he said to me, he said, you know what? You hear all these people talking all this stuff, and you think to you think to yourself, ah, oh, that's just rubbish. But you know what? It's true. Men were made to do something and feel like they can succeed in something. You see, you know what? We are here to do something, to succeed. To be a man. I don't know what women are supposed to do, but man. I don't know. Look pretty. Make flowers. Cook. I don't know. But men were made to chop down trees. We We were made to kill things. And we were made to eat with meat. We were made to feel like we've established something. And we turn and looked at ourselves and look, we are men. It was a great day. But there are moments in our lives when we are emptied of any of our value, our purpose, our destiny. Peter had gotten to a point in his life when he thought he had found his purpose and then it was Emptied. There are many moments in our lives when we think we get to the point when we think this is 
it. This is our purpose and destiny. And then it is emptied. And we grow confused. And we're not sure where we're going. And what it is we're supposed to be doing. Turn with me, will you, to Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds gathered in on him to listen to the Word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping onto one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Jesus saw two empty boats. Boats were made for fishing, not preaching. Who would have ever thought when they bought their boat from the boatyard that this boat would be used to hold the King of Kings, to preach a crowd, to set people free. This boat was made for fishing, but it was an empty boat, and so Jesus used it for preaching. You see, you can say, but this is what I was made for. Jesus doesn't care what your qualification is, where you have been, what you have done, how you have lived, what you have made, what mistakes you have been, where you have sailed to and where you have sailed back to. What Jesus is looking for is vessels which are empty and available. It was a fishing boat. It was empty. It was available. Jesus is calling you today and saying, I need empty Vessels. I need these vessels so I can do an amazing work. If you can turn and look at your life and go, I'm not really sure what I'm doing here. I, I'm confused. Maybe I can look around. I want you to understand. If you're not really sure, if you're looking in life feeling empty, you have just walked in the most amazing point of destiny in your life because Jesus is saying to you, I just need empty vessels. That's what I need. Not clever vessels, not filled vessels, not people who know what they are and where they're going. I need people who are looking for something to do for God, but suddenly discover they're not quite sure of who they are anymore. Peter and the disciples, they had been out. And they had been fishing all night. They had done nothing. They had come back and they were by the shore empty because they caught no fish. They hadn't achieved what it was that they had looked to do. And so what happens is that Jesus finds an empty vessel. The second thing happens. When Peter, Jesus is at the wedding... He takes these empty vessels. There's a phone somewhere, isn't there? It's like a mosquito that's coming. It's as annoying as a mosquito really is. But there isn't much we can do about it. So swap that noise away and we'll carry on preaching. 
it says here that Jesus took the vessels and He said, fill them with water. Now Jesus could have taken empty vessels. He could have said, close your eyes, count to ten, here's shebang, here's the wine. He could have done. He could have gone, kabang, shush, cloud of smoke, yang, woo, here we go. Cabernet, Sauvignon. (laughs) BC3. It's a great year. He could have done that. But he did not. He took the vessels that were empty and he filled them with water that he might have wine. Do you know, it says... In 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7 to 8. We're going to read the new translation version, which does read slightly differently, but don't worry, go with me. John 5, 1 John 5 verse 7, it says, so we have these three witnesses. Verse 8, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. What is John saying? He's saying, we have three witnesses here. The Holy Spirit, the water, which is the Word of God, and the blood, which is His sacrifice that sets us free and liberates us from all sin and guilt as we believe in Him. We have the Holy Spirit that has been poured out upon the earth to touch and empower and to fill and to motivate and to, and to release the church into its purpose and destiny. We have the water which is the Word of God which cleanses us, which speaks to us, which brings truth and revelation to us and we have His blood which redeems us and releases us and sets us free from the guilt of our sin. We have three. And Jesus says to these men, fill the vessels with water. When you are empty, you need His truth. When you are empty, you need the truth. When Jesus saw an empty boat, He got in it, the Bible says that the Word became flesh. It was speaking of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the Word of God. When Jesus saw an empty boat, he got in it. When Jesus saw an empty vessel, he said, fill it with water because Jesus is the water of God, the truth that fills our lives and sets us free. Do you understand what I am talking about here today? Jesus is speaking over us truth and when you are empty, you need to be filled with him, not you. That is what we need. When we are empty, we need Him, not us. We live in a post-modern world that is determined and decided that we decide our truth. We do not decide our truth. Jesus is the 
truth. He is the life and He is the way. No one comes to the Father but by Jesus Christ. No one finds their purpose or their destiny other than by Jesus Christ. No one can find their way in life but by by being emptied and filled with Jesus. And that is the truth that we need. Jesus needs an empty vessel. When you are empty in life, when you are confused in life, when you are no longer sure in life, Jesus, get rid of these broken CD cases. <laughs> get rid of these rubbish DVDs. Get rid of these pirated copies. Fakes of life no longer relevant to me. Now empty that bag of junk. Put it in the black bin for the council to pick up on Thursday mornings. Are you with me here today? Do you understand the process? Fill my life Jesus with your truth as I empty it out with my, from my garbage. As I finish today, I want to share the story of William Booth. Last week, I believe it was, I shared the story of Gypsy Smith, who had been employed by William Booth. William Booth is one of the great heroes of life. He started the Salvation Army. How many of you have heard of the Salvation Army? The Salvation Army was a move of God's Spirit established across the world. It started in England and it spread across to every corner of the globe. When William Booth started the Salvation Army in five years, he had preached the gospel and seen 200,000 people saved without microphones, without internet, without mobile phones. 200,000 saints. William Booth was a man that had become a pastor and failed. Had been employed as an evangelist and failed. Had been established as an evangelist for the Methodist and then banned by the Methodist. He was a man who had tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. He would go out and preach the gospel. He would come home covered in blood as people had thrown rocks at him and told him to shut up. Go home. You are not welcome here. But he couldn't stop. He was emptied. He was emptied. He was emptied. One day, he's walking down the street, Christmas time. He sees these children, and they are there, shoes, no shoes, just bare feet, in the cold weather. Their parents inside, getting drunk. And he is filled with just this anguish of soul. I have to save these children. I have to save their parents. Today, 
even today, the Salvation Army is the key number one ministry that sets people free from alcoholism. In 20 years, their ministry had spread across the globe. In 1907, as William Booth was reaching the end of his life, he was being interviewed in America, and he was being reminded of the Salvation Army's successes. In 20 years, it had become worth 15 million pounds. In 1907, that today is worth hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. Just put the zeros on the end. You may say, well, what's its financial value got to do with anything? I tell you, it's got to do with everything because its financial value is what gives it ability to see more people saved, more people saved, and more people set free. The Salvation Army is a movement that saw literally millions of people changed and saved around the world. They used music, they used everything they could do to get people saved. And as William Booth is being reminded in this interview, at the end of his life, what his achievements are, the American interviewer, reporter asks him, how is it that one man can make a difference like this? And William Booth starts to cry. He says, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. Jesus has always had all of me. He has always had all of me. Empty vessels. That's what Jesus needs. Empty, empty, empty. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.